Good morning, faithful church, both those here and those at home. Psalm 96, our first lesson, celebrates God's sovereignty over all the earth. It is God who made the world, and everything from the seas to the fields gives glory to God. But God's work is not done. God's equity and justice are yet to be fully revealed. Listen to the word of God as it comes to us in Psalm 96. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Tell of his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. For he is to be revered above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in holy splendor. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord is king. The world is firmly established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Then all the trees of the forest shall sing for joy before the Lord. For he is coming. He is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with his truth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In our second lesson, the letter to the Ephesians, we encounter an earnest appeal for Christians not to split into us and them, not to fracture into competing, degrading factions. Interestingly, the way the New Testament is put together, the letter to the Galatians comes just before this where Paul appeals to more conservative Jewish Christians not to judge Gentile Christians for their choices. Now in this letter, the audience is liberal Christians who were born Gentiles. Just as in Galatians, they're tempted to presume that their form of faith is the right one, and those others aren't really Christian. Listen to the word of God as it comes to us from the letter to the Ephesians chapter 2. 
you used to be dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived following the course of this world, following the desires of flesh and senses like everyone else. But God, God who is rich in mercy, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, so that in the ages to come he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. So remember, Remember that at one time, you Gentiles were strangers to the promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace. In his flesh, he has made both groups one, and has broken down the dividing wall, that is, the hostility between us. He came and proclaimed peace to those who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, both of us have access to one spirit in the Father. So now, now you are no longer strangers and aliens, but citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Oh God, open our hearts this day that whatever attitudes we come with might might be set aside for your word to us, that you would open our hearts, that we might be the people you call us to be. And may all God's people say, amen. Today, on American Independence Day, we have so much to be thankful for, not just Jan Doak's birthday, <laughs> not just our freedom from the domination of other nations, which is enormous, but also the freedoms that our founders thought indispensable, our freedom to assemble, our freedom to practice our religion, our freedom of speech, our freedom to vote, none of which we should take for granted. Needless to say, our founders were not perfect, and there is still much work to be done. Indeed, we are not truly free until all are free, free to care for ourselves and those we love, free to have dignity in our work, free to speak without threat of cancellation, free to have full access to voting. Still, the preamble of our nation's constitution sets a noble path. 
to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. May it be so. But how do we fulfill this sacred goal? No doubt we will have disagreements among us about what the right political answer is. Honestly, I really love the thoughtful, passionate dialogue that goes on in our congregation on these important matters. We are not of one mind. But beyond that, I encourage us to ask this question. What does it mean to be Christian in America today? What does it mean to be Christian in America today? And how might our faith enable us to fulfill our nation's highest sacred calling? Before I address how our faith can make a difference, I want to start by naming how divided our country is by our political identities, Republican or Democrat, libertarian or progressive, conservative or liberal. Honestly, the boxing match goes on and on. One of the most intriguing assessments I've seen comes from George Packer, who, though he leans left, doesn't hold back from naming the shortcomings of all. <laughs> in a recent piece in The Atlantic, he names four narratives competing for our national identity today. First, what he calls free America, which celebrates unencumbered individualism. Second, there's the smart America faction, which respects education and intelligence and welcomes questioning and change. The third he calls the real America group, which prioritizes loyalty, commits itself to a place, and has a sense of embedded identity. And fourth is what he calls just America, welcoming confrontation with uncomfortable stands. Now, while all four, Packer says, continually shape and absorb and morph into one another, their tendency is also to divide us, pitting us against each other, pressing each narrative of each tribe into a cramped and ever more extreme version of itself. I found that intriguing and frightening. In Packer's words, all four narratives are driven by a competition for status that generates fierce anxiety and resentment. They all anoint winners and losers in free America, the winners are the makers and the losers are the takers who want to drag the rest of us down in perpetual dependency of a smothering government. In smart America, the winners are the credentialed 
I don't even know how to say this, meritocrats, like meritocracy. And the losers are the poorly educated who want to resist inevitable progress. In real America, the winners are the hardworking folks of the white Christian heartland. And the losers are those treacherous elites and those who would contaminate others to destroy our country. And in just America, the winners are the marginalized groups and the losers are the dominant groups that want to go on dominating. Winners and losers, us and them, right and wrong. Nations have disintegrated over things like this. They have disintegrated over things like this, and it would be foolish to believe that America is exempt. So how do we, as Christians, make a difference in this radically divided time? I believe there are many ways, but today I just want to lift up two from our scripture lessons. Let me start with this. Today's scripture invites us to remember that whatever our perspective, Christ's agenda is to break down the dividing walls of hostility, whatever our perspective. Christ's agenda is to make us no longer strangers and aliens, but citizens of the household of God. How does it happen? Well, it isn't easy. It isn't easy, and none of us is perfect at it. But this week, I was reminded of how very, very different people can learn from each other and come to grow together as one in Christ. It was around 30 years ago when I was an associate pastor at Fourth Presbyterian Church in Chicago that I preached a sermon at the Vespers service on another national holiday. I spoke of appreciation of those who served in the military, including my own mother and father. But I also named the injustice that while many who serve in the military have options, many of them have few opportunities the poor, rural Americans, people of color. I still believe that, that the burden of our defense rests too much on the shoulders of those who have limited choices. In the congregation that night were two faithful members of the church, and afterwards I, I heard from them of a different stripe, I heard from them not a diatribe or a lecture or defense, but an additional perspective. They wanted me to see that there was more to it than this. The military, they said, was a key place of opportunity, a key place of opportunity for many of those very people that I named. For many, it is a place of dignity and service, a place of education and financial opportunity, a place of honor and a future and a hope. Their names, these people who came to me, were Donald and Joyce Rumsfeld. Was their perspective perfect? No. 
This week, like many, when I heard that John Rumsfeld had died, I, I felt, I confess, a deep regret at some of the decisions that he later made, decisions that impacted our world in such complicated ways. But my perspective wasn't perfect either. And I give thanks for what I learned from him that day. I learned that in Christ, the dividing wall of opinions is not all there is. It's not all there is. Instead, in Christ, we can form a more perfect union. We can. And often it comes from listening to each other across the aisles. We can, as Christians, manifest what it means to be citizens with all of the saints and members of the same household of God. That's the first calling I offer from our scripture lessons today. And the second is this. Our faith reminds us that our human limitations are not all there is. I love the words of the 96th Psalm that Shari Godbold read, in particular, this affirmation towards the end. The Lord is king. The Lord is king. The world is firmly established. It shall never be moved. God will judge the peoples with equity. God's power to establish truth, to bring justice, to judge with equity. God's power is larger than any power of our own. By grace you have been saved. It is not your own doing. We've seen God's power at work in America before to bring a future and a hope, even though our deepest divisions have challenged us. We endured the Civil War, but it brought a hard-won battle for freedom from slavery. We endured the Great Depression, but from it came an extraordinary bet on the New Deal and Social Security and public works. We endured the upheaval of the 1960s, but from it, we began to hear the plea for civil rights, for gay rights, for women's rights, and more. And out of these seasons of upheaval, our division was not the last word. Our division was not the last word. Indeed, God used, I believe, God used our honest, heartfelt, and intense arguments to press us forward to new realizations, to new values, to new priorities we hadn't seen, to new things that made us better than what we were before. Beloved in Christ, we have a very long way to go to form a more perfect union, to establish justice, to ensure domestic...
tranquility, to provide for the common defense, to promote the general welfare, secure the blessings of liberty for ourselves and our posterity. We have a long way to go to fulfill the vision that all men and women are created equal and have inalienable rights. We have a long way to go and our work is not done, but as Christians in America today, instead of lingering on all of these divides that separate us so much, instead of clinging to our own tribe's often self-righteous view, maybe it's time that we strive to work with Christ to tear down those dividing walls of hostility. Maybe it's time, instead of giving up on ourselves, that we might trust that God has a still more excellent way that in the end has more power than our own. I believe God can use our divisions even now. Maybe I'm naive, but I like to think that it's a statement of faith, that God can recreate and use even these divisions to call out the better angels of our nature, to proclaim our trust that God will judge the peoples with equity, all of the peoples, and that God's just and generous work might be complete in this land we call home. Amen.